0: Whoa, you went no contact with your family? Like, you don't talk to them at all? Nope, because they're toxic as fuck. Are you also the villain for walking away from your toxic family in order to preserve your peace? Welcome to the Character Outs podcast, where I am on a mission to normalize going no contact with toxic family. Welcome all you terrible people. Let's talk about it. Welcome back to the character outs podcast. My name is Terry and I have my friend Dave with me. He runs the page healing after a narcissist. And if you're not following me on Instagram, why? Absolutely. Why? Um, he is powerful. He is bold in his statements and his knowledge. Um, you know, when we unfortunately have had a narcissist in our life, um, we, Have to learn trial by fire. We learn very quickly how to deal with the narcissist. We learn how to handle the narcissist. We learn what the fuck is going on when we really had no idea. You know, nobody wants to sign up for a class. Oh, learn about narcissism. No, we never would ever have signed up for that class, but we learn because sadly we've had a narcissist in our life. And Dave does such a great job on his page with being really raw and honest. So thank you for being here. Welcome, Dave.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Of course. I appreciate it. You're going to be modest right now. I know you. And I remember when you followed me, I was like, oh, what? What? Oh my gosh. Like, wow, this, this, guy's, <laughs> this guy's legit. He's like really delivering powerful and impactful information. And then we started chatting on DMs and getting to know you a little bit better. And you graciously um, accepted my invitation to be on the podcast because I'm like, you know, I see... All of this information on my feed, you wrap up the narcissist and what we've been through, but also our healing so beautifully. So um, I was like, but you know what? I don't know your story. Like I need to know your story.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Terry, I followed you because your content, not only is it good, it's also very relatable talking about, you. you know, toxic family members or narcissistic family members or whatever you want to call it. And honestly, when you when you f- see content on Instagram that really connects with you, of course you want to follow somebody like that. Yeah.
0: So as you know, the Character Outs podcast um, is a podcast based on normalizing going no contact with toxic family, talking about um, what we've been through, um, talking about how. We don't have to fix it. The fact that it wasn't us, it was never us, that was the problem. Even though we went through this, these horrible cycles of thinking that it was us that was the problem. It was never us. Tell me a little bit about how you started your platform, what your passion is. And then we can talk a little bit about your past and how that ties together.
1: Okay, so how how I started the, the platform. So three years ago, I went through... Um, a, I guess, um, relationship breakup that was narcissistic, and I knew nothing about narcissism. I knew nothing about, I, you know, we've all we've all heard about a narcissist, but we didn't. I'd say the vast majority of people don't know that there are different kinds of narcissists, and there's different. There's a playbook involved in this. Yeah. And the long story short was. I was telling a very close friend of mine who was married to a narcissist doctor. And she looked at me and said, like, Dave, you realize that you just call things off with a narcissist. And I was like, No, 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 no. She's not like that big braggadocious kind of like, you know, uh-huh. malignant narcissist. What I what we now know as the uh-huh. overt malignant narcissist. Um, and so she sent me down a rabbit hole. And as I started doing research, I was just absolutely blown away how there were words and expressions to what you go through in narcissistic relationship, right? And then, and so being a man, men don't typically talk about mental health. There's not a lot of, there weren't at the time, a lot of pages out there for, for men who have been, who had gone through something like that. And so I started my own page and what I did was I started collecting information, kind of centralizing it from my own knowledge. And I was thinking at the time, like, all right, well, maybe I'll get a couple hundred followers. Like, maybe some other people will connect with all the stuff that I'm kind of pulling together off the internet. And then I started kind of making it a theme, like a very, you know, a black and white theme. And I wanted it to be very informational, very impactful. Um, I also wanted to repost and highlight other people's content who are doing great work in this space because I, nobody's the be all and end all, like the knowledge keeper of narcissism. So I think it's good um, that we all share each other's information. And so I basically started this account and then I started pulling things together and put a little bit of a theme to get it. I shared a little bit of my story on it. And before I knew it, I was like a couple of posts had gone viral and people were just messaging me going, I went through the same thing. I know exactly what this is. And that's that's kind of how it started. I fell into it not, I did not start this account for anything other than for my own healing purposes and gathering information into one spot. And then I started to notice that it was connecting with other people and um, people were messaging me. And then a few things went viral. And then before you know it, you know, over 100,000 people are following and crazy sharing their story. Yeah, it's, in, it's crazy
0: to think. Because I know well, that as we start this journey and as we, our eyes open to the nurses, we think, oh, oh, it was only us. Or maybe maybe one other person in the world has been through what we've been through. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, They're fucking the, everywhere. The thing that fascinates me the most about it is, is that the cross section of people who follow the account, it does like it literally affects every single yeah. culture, every nice. single socioeconomic scenario. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's not a black or white thing. It's not a gay or straight thing. It's just everybody is affected by narcissism or narcissistic individuals yes. in some way, yeah. shape or form. And so that was a really big eye opener for me. Like when I'm going down my own healing path and then also my own education, Yeah the, the amount of validation you get from connecting with the community is right. it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I think
0: it's crucial for the, for our healing. I really yeah.
1: do. Yeah. It, yeah, for sure. Um,
0: I think it's so powerful that you were so brave to put yourself out there, you know, and put your information out there because it's not easy to, you know, put that toe in the water and be like, okay, well, is there someone else out there that I can help? And and I love that it started with just the gathering of information because isn't that what we do? Like, you know, like you, were, you were, we were talking about before, when you're stuck in a narcissistic relationship or even a toxic relationship, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily – complete narcissistic you know if you're in a toxic relationship where you are being gaslit manipulated controls or yeah. seeds of doubt and you're being emotionally abused you're in a toxic situation a toxic relationship and then you're so beaten down that there's the tendency to stay in that spot and kind of not talk about it anymore and like you know they're like you were saying there's a little bit of a bar- embarrassment associated with it why didn't i see it and that kind of thing and so it's so what you're doing is so valuable because it is the community and it is the, the information and the knowledge that that helps us. It's the community, too, that gets yeah. us the things.
1: There was a, one of the things that that really stood out for me in my healing uh, journey was, you know, I look back at myself being self-reflective and realizing, you know, I was not perfect in a relationship. Yeah. Like, you know, like nobody's perfect in a relationship. We make mistakes. We say stupid things. We do stupid things. and. There were a few incidences that happened that I really kind of held on to. And then I learned about reactive abuse. And I was like, oh, my God, like that's that's exactly what I went through. It's like where you get pushed and pushed and pushed. And then finally, you just like you snap. Right. And so, yes, you know, going through. So I started this account in terms of my own healing. And then it turned into, wow, maybe I could actually kind of put content together for other people, share other people's content as well. And then it kind of turned into speaking on the phone with people, kind of doing like this informal one-on-one coaching. So it was like helping other people, but also healing yourself at the same time. Um, oh,
0: to- I feel that in my soul. Yeah, totally yeah. feel that. And then,
1: so for me, you know, move, like, you know moving past the whole narcissism thing was um, when, you, when you go through the healing journey of, of you know, post-narcissistic abuse or, or anything like that, What often happens is it it forces you to start looking at yourself and looking at your childhood and your past, and your childhood trauma. And then you start thinking about, like, you start realizing, wow, some of the stuff that I went through has kind of led me to where I am right now. Like, I kind of get it, right? And so, you know, the second part of my healing journey has been um, looking at childhood trauma, looking at uh, my own um shortcomings i guess you could say i mean i've been in therapy intensive therapy for for three years now and it's pretty humbling when you start recognizing some of your own patterns but it's good because you start you know because of what the you know the trauma that you went through with a narcissistic relationship it starts getting you to now focus on yourself and start seeing you know what you need to do to kind of or to make sure that you don't end up in a relationship like that again it takes a gets force you to take a look at your primary caregiving. takes you, forces you to kind of look at your childhood and what you went through. And that's kind of where the next phase of my healing journey went. It was looking at the childhood stuff. Interesting. So tell me about your childhood. So childhood, that's an interesting one. So I had, when I talk about childhood trauma, I'm sure we've talked about this or other people too. Like in this world, they talk about capital T trauma and little t trauma, right? I don't have well, conscious memories, I should say, of anything of capital T trauma. I don't have anything, you know, horrible that happened. Was there a lot of um abuse that was going on? One hundred percent. Was it the times that we were in? Sure. We can we, we can debate about, about that. that too. Yeah, we we listen I let, let's talk about that because here, here's my stance on this. A lot of parents, especially from you know the 70s and 80s, will say, "Well, it was a different time back then." And okay, sure, I, I can I can I can understand that. What I don't understand, and I will never understand, is how any parent—I don't care if you are grow up in 1980 or if you grow up in 1580—when you are standing over your child and your child is in terror. At some point in time, this has nothing to do with culture. This has to do with like our genetics, like our our parental genetics that we have to nurture our children. When you are standing over your child and your child is tremoring or in fear of you, at what point in time does the parent say, Holy shit, I'm not doing this right? Something is not right here. And I get that our parents think well, they, did, they didn't get as bad as what I got it. You know, I used to get beaten every day. I, you only get a beating once a week or once a month. Like, you got it good compared to what I do. I, that is such a bullshit excuse. I, I hate hearing that. I've heard it from trolls on my account where people, you know, parents are, yeah, you know, de- deflecting accountability and saying, I did the yeah. best job I could, whatever. You know what? Oh, Listen, yeah. If your child is, is, is riddled with anxiety and like, Mm -hmm. you know, trembling in fear because of their parents or they, they flinch because they can't, they don't want to get hurt. Like, I don't care what generation you are. I don't care what culture you're in. I don't care what year you were born. That is not, that's, that's not nature. You know, it is not nature for you to beat your children or intimidate your children. I don't, I don't buy into that. So I, you know, growing up, I, you know, grew up with an Australian mom. She was half Italian. So a wooden spoon was her weapon of choice, right? (laughs) Um, You know, this, the, the, you know, the strap, it was corporal punishment back then, right? You lived in fear of your parents. Um, And so I grew up with a mother who was very dominant, very, you know, wore the pants in the family. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what my mom said went, there was no, you know, my father was a very codependent, um, very quiet, very, you know, he was the type of father where if you go to him and say, Hey, can I go to my friend's house? His response would be go ask the first mother. No, no, no. (laughs) Go ask the first in command.
0: First in command. Oh. Oh shit.
1: Yeah. So there was, um, yeah. The, the maternal, um, situation was not good. Um, right from like, the sad thing is, is like, if I look back and I think about my childhood, there's not one good, I don't have a memory. Like, obviously there was good times, right? With toxic mm-hmm. parents, it doesn't matter. Like there's always going to be good times. Right. But right. when the underlying prevailing, uh, emotions, of thought of your childhood is kind of bad and, and, and really lonely and yes. fearful and all that yes. stuff, that's, and, and, it's, and it's ironic because my parents used to joke, they say, you know, in the first, I don't know, two or three years of your life, you never smiled in photos. Like, my parents literally don't have a photo of me smiling in the first two or three years of life. And I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, do you not think that's fucked up? Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I don't really remember. Um, my, my childhood was marked with, um, you know, kids wanting to run away. Mm. Mine wasn't. I want to run away. I fantasized about escaping. It wasn't about running away. It was I. I like used to fantasize about running away and how I could get enough wood planks to build like a fort or a shelter underneath a bridge so I could escape the chaos. I don't remember. Like I don't have. I don't have like conscious memories of of really really bad things. But w- what what I do have is like that memory of just wanting to just not be there. Like, it was, f- there was a lot of anger and angst focused towards me for some reason, some unbeknownst reason. And then, and it was like, uh, you know, I was the consummate over-scheduled child, right? I played on two hockey teams. I was in French immersion school, played Royal Conservatory piano, I was in Cub Scouts, I was playing t And like, you know, I was just constantly uh, like it, it was it was this constant look at my kid look at how amazing my kid is and meanwhile yeah. behind closed doors it's always yeah. like you're not you know you're not trying hard enough, you're not doing good enough, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, all that yeah. stuff. So that's kind of like what the, you know, the underlying theme of my childhood was I need to run away. And it wasn't and it wasn't running away. It was like I need to escape this. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm so happy you said that because I had a difficult time with that too. Because I think a lot of times until we really sit down with our childhood and what really, really happened, we can just knee-jerk say, Oh, I had a great childhood. Oh, it was great. No, but But did you? Because why do I feel so fucking sad and thrown away? And why am I so insecure? And why do I have all these trauma responses? And why do I have all this PTSD? Like, like, yeah, no, same. Like, I wasn't beaten. I wasn't sexually abused. Like, I never had the capital T trauma either. You know, yeah, we went through some shit. But I'm happy you said that because I feel like a lot of times, and I can't imagine, especially for men, like – you're supposed to just suck it up, get over it. You know, for women, oh, stop being so dramatic, you know, suck it up, yep. get a grip. You know, I was told to get a grip my whole life, but I'm really happy you said that because in order to heal, I feel like we need to hone in on, it's okay that we can't really define what happened. That That's all right. <laughs> you know, if someone is making us feel like shit, if we have trauma responses from that family member, that's not okay. So I'm happy that you said that because a lot of times people are just, silenced because, well, that wasn't that bad, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's like a cultural pressure too to be like, Oh, you, your childhood wasn't that bad. In yeah. any toxic family system, there's always going to be good times. But when, right. as I said, like when, when in the underlying theme is misery or despair or sadness or depression or anything like that, like yeah. that's, exactly. that's when it kind of tips the scales from one side to the other. And, and the other thing is, is that we, Grew up in North America, where toxic culture was normalized. Yes, right. Like you know, Gaber Mate has a book called "The Myth of Normal." Like we we normalize the stuff that we go through that we think, well, this is what everybody else is going through, so we should just mm-hmm. suck it up. Like that, we should just we should just accept it. And that's a bunch yes. of bullshit. I agree, right? Because I always go back to our genetics. Like you know, back in caveman days, we had this innate uh parenting um uh, composition where we want to nurture our children and we instinctually nurture our children but we've deviated so far from that and we've normalized the abuse of a lot of these toxic parents mm-hmm. and when i saw a really good quote the other day that said you spend the first part of your life in a fucked up scenario you spend the last half of your life trying to undo the stuff that you've went through in the first forty years of your life That's true Right. And it's just, and it's, and it's when it is, it's just achieving a certain level of self-awareness and looking at, you know, why your nervous system is dysregulated and why you have those triggers that you talked about. And it's like, oh, okay. Now you, when you learn about the toxic family system, you kind of go, okay, I get it now. I understand why I have a visceral reaction to when somebody says this or does that. And then that's where the work comes in. Is focusing yes. on on yourself and your own nervous system healing
0: I think so many times we can get stuck in a place of well, why can't I have you know a healthy family? why can't I have a healthy relationship? you know why you know and, and I believe that there's a time to stay stuck, but I also think that we need to move past, and that's what I admire about you because you know you're not just sitting there bad mouthing the toxic person that was in your life, you're like no, uh-uh, this is about my journey. This is about me now. This is about my healing. And I think that is so impactful and powerful. So um, for you, as you, as your eyes were opening to the toxic scenario that was going on from your childhood, connecting it with perhaps when you started your platform and you um, broke free from the narcissistic partner that you had, um, what were some of the resources and what what were some of the aha healing moments um for you who did you books resources did you turn to to really help get you oh. and propel you on that healing journey
1: well i i think <laughs> we can't have a discussion about narcissism without us talking about dr Romney, right like i remember somebody yes. left a comment somebody left a comment on my on one of my posts and they said well you should check out dr Romney's page and i was like who's this dr Romney character <laughs> and you know i found her youtube pages and all these videos and i was just like i always say this and i know this sounds like really dramatic or extreme but like dr romany saved my life
0: doesn't sound she, dramatic at yeah, all yeah she
1: she the she's so well spoken and she's so concise on narcissism and i started i went down the 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 youtube rabbit hole and i realized oh This is what I went through. Oh, that's what you call it. Oh my God. I remember this scenario where, like, so that's what gaslighting is. Oh my God. That's what word salad is. Word salad is like the toxic (laughs) person's number one thing to do, where you're sitting there, they're spitting out a bunch of words, and you're like, what? uh, what, No, no, no. Let's get back to what we were talking about. You know what I mean? And then, you know, the Darvo, like the, the, you know, deny attack, reverse victim and offender. And it's like, Mm. I went through that i've gone through that in so many scenarios with you know various people where you where you realize lack of accountability on a toxic individual narcissistic person is just that's kind of their their mo right That they're never at fault they're they're never willing to sit down to meet you halfway or discuss things and so yeah dr romany was a huge resource for me um there's been some other great accounts too that i've um you know who have since really looked up to richard grannon he's one of he's somebody who does a lot of work on narcissism as well uh mark vicente as well he's a hollywood director filmmaker who's done um some work on he had a uh, a series on hbo called the vow it was about the nexium cult um connecting with mark has been just so validating for me um just understanding how Narcissism plays out in so many aspects of life, right? You know, from romantic relationships to families to work, friendships. And then what Mark does is like he's done a lot of work on the cult aspect of things, right? So just understanding that narcissism is so prevalent throughout the entire world and our culture, it's been uh, really validating for myself because I've realized that it's not me. You know, I was never, I'm, not, I'm never going to sit here and say that I was a perfect partner or I was a perfect child right um but realizing that this personality style infiltrates so many different people uh, and so many different aspects of our life that it, it, you're right we aren't perfect but it doesn't justify some of the abusive tactics or the abuse that a lot of these people employ in their day-to-day lives and that was that was tremendously um i would say validating for me And mm.
0: unfortunately it, it comes from the people who say that they love us the most you know, whether it's a family member or romantic partner, yep. you know, and here we are going, oh, but but they love me.
1: Oh, this <laughs> is to the normal. Drama
0: this yeah, is totally normal. Mm, yeah.
1: yeah. So a part of my healing, like, you know, moving on past the narcissism was, you know, as I said, looking at the childhood stuff and I started realizing a lot of the toxic, um, the toxic scenario that i was in growing up and how it led me to end up in these types of relationships right and so um i'm very lucky though like some of my you know previous relationships were not toxic you know we're not what I, i'm not going to sit here and say that i was with an, every single person i was with was a narcissist because that's not true right I, right you know they d- dated a lot of really good people but um i think what ends up happening is in, in the healing journey when you start looking at your childhood and you start looking at your why you are the way you are and how you end up in these scenarios it really forces you to take a look at these toxic relationships that you currently have and for me it was taking a look at my relationship with my mother who i have since gone no contact with right that's been um that's been a, a pretty tough one um you know i remember I, I saw recently on instagram there was this little viral thing that was going around and this woman was saying what's with all these millennials going no contact with their, with their parents? Like, is it like a trend? Like what is this Ew, a trendy thing to do? Too. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, it's not a trend. It's just that, that people are educated now. And the shit Correct. that you pulled is, is not Correct. right.
0: That's <laughs> a <And, laughs> <so> fucking <loodley. laughs> And,
1: and that's the, you know, I don't look at the narcissistic people or, or, or toxic people, um, in my life with anger or hatred. Like I, I, You and I spoke about this. Like, I actually have a tremendous amount of sympathy. Like, I've I've moved off. I think it's important for people to actually be angry and go through that anger, rage, like all those like process that, get it over and done with. Yeah. When you start doing the education, you start learning about these toxic traits. You realize that part of the reason why we get so angry is we personalize it. We think it's like they're doing this against us. They're doing it to me. No, they do it to everybody. It's not just you right? And it doesn't matter if you're not perfect. If you're not a perfect partner, there is no such thing as a perfect partner with a toxic individual, like a narcissistic person. And it's because it doesn't matter if you're perfect. They're still going to find a way to be, you know, to turn things against you. So learning about the cluster B spectrum, right? From, you know, from histrionic to narcissistic personality disorder to borderline and then antisocial personality disorder, you start to realize that there's these this cluster of personality traits and tactics and abuse tactics and it's a playbook and when you when you learn about it 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 forced me to kind of look at my my family situation and have to make a tough call you know cluster b or borderline is an interesting one a part of the the narcissism spectrum i guess or the cluster b spectrum um i take a look at my mother's behavior And, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to diagnose. I'm not somebody who's going to say, oh, they're definitely borderline or they're definitely a narcissistic personality disordered individual. I don't really care about the diagnosis. I look at the toxic traits and the toxic patterns and the behaviors that they exhibit consistently over an extended period of time. And what I noticed is the normal behavior or what I thought was normal behavior from my mother was extremely toxic behavior. So my mom does something that is... I guess, clinically defined as splitting, well, which is also known as black and white thinking. Where, yeah, and <laughs> so one moment you can be the absolute perfect child yes. on the face of the earth where they wanna you know, parade you around everybody and mm-hmm. show, look at my kid, look how amazing they are. And then the next minute you are Satan's child. Yeah. Right. And how, so how, so how did that show up in my scenario? I like a, within a, like a 12 month period of time, I went from moving my parents from their, you know, 35 year home into a condo closer to where I live with, you know, cause I have a daughter as well. And I had to do everything for this move from, you know, the the real estate agent to the condo board, to the, you know, the, um, you know, making sure that I had to deal with the bank manager because they were getting screwed over by the bank. Like I did everything the movers, the packers, like everything. And, you know, my mom would basically tell anybody who would listen, Oh my God, he is, he, we couldn't have done this move without him, like, you know, at our age. And he was so good and so helpful. And there's no way we could have done this without him to, fast forward, you know, within 12 months, I had gone through a divorce and I found out that my mom was talking, telling people about what was going on in my divorce, like sharing my personal information after I told her three times not to tell anybody.
0: Wait, but are we siblings? Hold on, because my mom did that exact fucking same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, but once again, once you, when, once you learn about cluster B, you realize that it's a pattern of behaviors, Here right? Like it's Like we all share the same story. And so, so I went from, You know, being the golden child, not the golden child, I don't want to use that expression because we can talk about that later. But I went from being the most amazing kid on the face of the earth that helped his elderly ailing parents move from a home from a, you know, a a three bedroom home to a two bedroom condo to within 12 months i lost my shit on my mom for telling people about my my personal stuff to her leaving a voicemail saying that she was calling a lawyer to find out what her rights are because of the mental abuse that i put her through you know and i talked to my therapist about it and she was the one who educated me on borderline to be like yeah that this is something that that parents will just use the blanket term toxic parents this black and white thinking It's like that's how trauma bonds start happening because you've got these extreme highs and then these extreme lows where you're like your parents like you're the best kid you're the worst kid it's like no you want to get back to that best kid scenario Um, and the the straw that broke the camel's back for me i mean we can we can talk about a plethora of incidences that happen like i'll tell you like one of the things that my mom said to my daughter once my daughter was four years old at the time she was going through that phase where she was you know sticking out her tongue right and my mother i'm assuming in her joking way said how would you like it if i grabbed a knife and cut that tongue out and and like i was sitting there like my jaw was on the floor going what part what part of your brain yeah. i don't care if you i don't care if you think that you were joking like obviously she was joking obviously she was not like seriously threatening my child obviously yeah but a 4 year old doesn't have the cognitive development to understand Correct. that that's just that's sarcasm or that's right. you know you're not being serious and i looked at her and i was like what part uh- of your brain Thinks that that is okay to say to a four-year-old. I mean, like, there's there, I could there's incident <sighs> after incident after incident, okay? So, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was my, my – well, my father had, had passed away in uh, 2021. And so, for the last, you know, two and a half years, my mom started – she's Australian, so she goes back to Australia from time to time – and she came back from australia um and i picked up my daughter from school picked up a pizza brought her over for a visit have dinner and the straw that broke the camel's back for me was we're sitting at the dinner table and my mom was like oh could you pass me the water and i was like sure oh by the way uh, i'm moving to australia right in front of my daughter who was five years old at the time who was like devastated she just broke down clung onto me tears streaming down her face and i was just like and i thought to myself you have no self-awareness of how your actions can affect other people like it didn't occur to her to come to me and say hey listen i'm thinking about moving to australia i don't want to devastate your daughter i don't want to cause a scene how can we do this to try to minimize the impact to this and that was the defining moment for me where i was like you know what, you can be toxic with me. I'm an adult. I can I can deal with this shit. But when you pull that shit in front of my child, my Papa Bear coat came on and I'm like, I'm done stick a fork in me. I'm done. I am not going to let you do and say the shit that you did to me growing up. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to expose that to my daughter. It's not going to happen. Not on my watch. Good for you. And that was the last time that I saw her. Wow. Good for you. You know, obviously after that, we had had some exchanges or whatever, and I, um, I said to her that I was not going to get involved in her move to Australia, and that set her off because of you know, you set a set a boundary with a toxic person, you're you become enemy <laughs> number one, right? Ooh. She thought that I was going to yes. drop everything and do like when I moved of them course. from the house to the condo, I was going to drop everything that I was doing and help her move halfway around the world at 81 years old. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. I'm like, okay, good listen, for
0: you, it's just not good but, for and, you.
1: And Terry, it's so, like, and I was telling my therapist about this and she's like, she's not moving. You know, she's not moving, right? She's just wow. doing this for attention. Interesting. And of course, you know, fast forward a few months, she puts her condo on the market and overprices it so that it doesn't sell. It's out on the market, like in a, in a hot real estate market. It's sat on the market for like three months. And I'm sitting here and then she took it off the market last October. And I'm like, the, like, she's, it, it's it, the way that I explain it to people, it's, you know, somebody with borderline or I call, I don't even, don't even put the label on it, put arrested development, right? This person who is a primary caregiver has the intellectual development or the emotional development of a 12 year old. Yep. Right. It's like, I realize, wow, this is exactly what somebody in the seventh grade would do. Yes. Right. It right. was like, I'm throwing, I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. Like, I don't, I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> And so exactly. I'm like you know what I mean and I just yes. like yes and, and it and it dawned on me that the level of her toxicity is would go to the point of faking moving halfway around the world to get attention. Unreal. Right? And, and then just,
0: bringing your daughter into it knowing full well.
1: And and that's and like and as I said like I can deal with like as an adult and after the copious amounts of therapy that I've been through I can handle that stuff. But the minute that I started seeing her doing it to my child, yes. I'm like, you know what? I'm done. Yes. Like, you're, no, no, no. I go in my mind. I'm like, nobody was there to protect me from this. Yeah, I'm protecting my daughter from that type of behavior. Oh, and and, it, and it sucks. It, it's it, it's horrible because my daughter doesn't understand why we don't go see Nona anymore. Right. Yeah. Now, i I am in no contact but if my daughter ever expresses I want to FaceTime my mom mm-hmm. I'll let her FaceTime mm-hmm. but I'm in within a short ear shot that if I hear anything leading anything manipulative or anything I end the conversation I'm not I'm not letting her and like it happened not too long ago where she wanted to FaceTime her and then you know the questions were all standard Oh, how's school going what are you learning what's new about you know all that stuff and then it came into well she made some kind of comment to well you know, I haven't seen you, and it was like, all right, you know what? No, gotta go. End the call. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and it's, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. But the way that I look at it, like as a parent, I have two choices here. The first seven years of a child's life is where their morals and their ethics are kind of built. And if you're exposing a child to that kind of toxic behavior and normalizing that type of yes. toxic behavior, yes. it is your duty as a parent to minimize yep. that or remove your child from that. So like the way that I look yes. at it is I have two scenarios. There's going to be trauma involved here. The, there's no two ways about it. Either your child's going to have the trauma of not having a grandmother in their life or they're going to have the trauma of being exposed to this toxic behavior. I'm picking the lesser of two evils is I the way that, that I'm looking at it. I, I, I don't love that. We have to stop this bullshit of family over everything. Yes. And what I want your listeners to understand, and even for my own listeners, there's and I've I've made a post about this, there is this um, cultural phenomenon in every culture around the world. It's not just in North America, but it's like blood is thicker than water. Blood is not thicker than water. That saying is actually incorrect. The proper saying is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, which means the relationships you covet are more important than the familial ties, the water of the womb, right? So somebody somewhere in history has taken that quote and flipped it on its head to be like, family is everything. Your blood is thicker than more.
0: Anyways, we were not leaving. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, like,
1: (laughs) if you really stop and you think about it, it's probably somebody whose child alienated them and said, fuck this, I'm flipping that around. You know what I mean? Absolutely. What I want everybody to understand is that you can go no contact from, a toxic person, especially from a, a like a toxic family member, you don't have to hate them. Like, I don't hate my mother. I don't Mm -hmm. at all. I have Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of sympathy. And we can talk about like the emotional, the emotional scale is, you know, it starts off at pity and then you go up to sympathy and it builds up to empathy and it builds up to compassion, right? So pity is, is I feel sorry for you. Sympathy is I feel for you. Empathy is, I feel with you, like I can feel your pain. And then compassion is, is like, I'm here to help you, right? So I feel sympathy for my mom. I feel bad because her childhood was very traumatic. Um, she went through horrible trauma as a child. She witnessed her mother die at 12 years old, like in the room next door. She had a massive heart attack. And I could I can't imagine how horrible that must be for a 12-year-old girl. Like my heart breaks. To think of, like I have a, I have a daughter, and I could not imagine my daughter going through the death of her mother at that age. So it is such a crucial age for women when you're transitioning from, you know, from a girl to a woman, and there's so much involved in that page of her life. I feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for her, but as I have said to so many people, trauma explains your behavior; it doesn't justify it. Love it, right? We've all been through a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm if you want to use trauma as an excuse for your abusive and toxic behavior then you know what that's not going to do you it's not going to serve you very well for very long because people will wake up to it right and people i still hold space for my mother to be like you know one day if she were to be like listen i've self-reflected and i've realized i've made a lot of mistakes and i want to make things better I would 100% take that opportunity and try to build that relationship. But when you're dealing with cluster B personality disorders, it's not going to change. The odds of it changing, the way that I always say to people, I'd be like, if you had to go to a casino and you play roulette and there are 10,000 squares on that roulette table.
0: Oh, I see the same fucking thing. This is great.
1: (laughs) And it's like, if one of those numbers, you have to hit one out of 10,000.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you
1: going to bet your life savings Mm -hmm. on spinning Mm -hmm. that wheel and landing on that one person who's going to change (laughs) on the cluster B scale, who's going to wake up one day and go, oh, fuck, I'm right.
0: After everything that they've shown us, no, not happening.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's such a repetitive, like, it's like, I, I, I choose not to live in, a world of anger and hatred towards these people who are who've done some really shitty things because i remember my therapist once said to me there was like after i went through a you know that uh, narcissistic breakup it was um it was pretty traumatic and i was like digging for information and trying to find more information about you know what this person was doing and Every single day, I was focusing on it, and I was going down that rabbit hole, and I was finding out more and more and more information, and it was causing more stress and more anxiety. And then finally, my therapist looked at me and she said, "Dave, how is that serving you?" Really? And the answer to the question is, it's not. Right? It's not going to help. Right. So, and the way that I look at it is that these people, when you make the transition from the anger and the rage and the just wanting to get back at them, and and make them feel the pain that you went through when you get past that stage and see them for who they truly are. Yes,
0: which is so ter- scary. It's 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 looking at that stage is scary because it's like because oh, we're empaths and we're like, oh fuck, what if, what, oh my gosh, you know,
1: it's scary. Well, and we want to hold on, like, you know, that saying holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting, expecting it to kill the other your enemy. to
0: die, yes.
1: You know what I mean? Like, and, yes. it, it, and until you get to the point where you make that transition and wanting the other person to pay or or yes. admit that they did something wrong, you're never yeah, going agree. to get closure. You're never exactly. going to get closure. Say it again. I've said, I've said to so many people, <laughs> Like, yes. I, I heard I heard a really good line and I don't know, I, I hope I'm not stealing it from somebody, but if I am, then please DM me and I'll give you credit for it. But I, I heard this line where it was like, let your education be your closure.
0: Mm, I right? like
1: that. Like your education, when you learn about these disorders and you learn about these toxic traits and all that stuff, that is the closure that you need. Because what yeah. happens is like, what, we want closure. We think that if a narcissistic person or somebody with borderline or you know, a toxic person in our life who has done us wrong... We think that we're going to get closure by them coming to us and saying, hey, you know what? I'm really sorry. I've taken a look back and I, I, I did a lot of bad things. No, you're not no. going to get closure like that. No. Well, first of all, it's never going to happen
0: yes and even correct. if
1: it did happen even if it did happen it's not going to give you the closure that you think no i and agree so with you when you when you heal from that and move on you what ends up happening is you uh you transition into a life of well i i can only talk about myself but i live my life tremendously through a lens of gratitude now even with the bad stuff that i went through through the narcissistic relationship and the in in that all that what happened i'm grateful for it because it's led way. me down this path yeah. where it's forced me to now look at my childhood and look at my own yeah. stuff. It's it's launched me into therapy. I've spent in the last three years, I probably spent about forty thousand dollars in therapy. Mm. Wow. And it has been worth every single penny. Yes. Because when you live your, when, when you transition from that anxiety and angst and depression, or not so much depression, but just like that, that tension and stress, yeah, into acceptance and moving on and just looking at those people through a lens of sympathy, you're kind of like your life becomes a lot easier. I
0: agree. And it doesn't
1: become, it doesn't, your life doesn't become, um, it doesn't turn into turmoil anymore. And yeah. you really take the, that's how you take the power and the control back from a I narcissist, agree. right? I agree. Because they're not sitting around, a narcissist will never sit nope. around worrying, up, <laughs> worrying about whether or not you think poorly of them. <laughs> like they don't Correct. care. And so. if we're
0: modeling our lives on how to not be a narcissist, there involves self-reflection and therapy and healing and moving on and embracing the future. And I feel like too, I find myself sitting in peace and not the turmoil, like you were saying. Yeah. And next thing I know, you think about, you know, because you're a parent, when you, when your kid walks in and let's say you're in deep thought, If that deep Mm -hmm. thought that you're in is just caustic and and volatile and angry and bitter and full of hatred and your baby walks in, what do you think is going to come out? It's not Uh going to be peace. It's going to be anger. It's going to be, it's going to be explosive. But when you're sitting in peace and you're residing in peace and healing and listen, all of us, listen, I say all the time, I'm, I'm a healing mom. I'm not ever a perfect mom, but when you're residing in that place of peace, it, trickles down onto our kids. It trickles down onto our our spouses and to our friends because we're not dwelling in that space. We're not we're not being like them. We're moving on, moving past, moving forward.
1: Yeah, I call it moving out of the victim mentality. Like it's yeah. so easy for all of us to get stuck in the victim mentality, but I don't look at my my childhood growing up. I don't look at it as being a victim. It happened. It like whatever. Like yeah. it is what it yeah. is. I can right. either choose to dwell on it. I could sit here and try to dwell on it. Or I could be like, all right, let me roll up my sleeves. Let me see the work I got to do in order to kind of uh, alleviate that. I call it, I I liken it to more just uh, like nervous system healing, because what happens when you go through trauma as a child, your nervous system kind of gets completely dysregulated. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, when we get triggered, it's our nervous system. It's our body telling us, hey, you got some unresolved (laughs) trauma stored in your body somewhere. And this is how it's manifesting itself. Right. And so... I, you know, my three-year healing journey has been getting out of that and moving into, um, getting in like moving more into understanding your nervous system, understanding where your limitations are, understanding why they are, and then taking the necessary steps in order to try to work on it. it it's not an easy process. I wish that there was like a magic pill or silver <laughs> bullet that you could take that would just be like right. boom, immediately regulated nerve. Well, maybe MDMA, but no, I don't think that would that would be wise to do that but um you can you have to focus on moving into like um um you know focusing on yourself and moving past the narcissist moving past the toxic person in your life and stop going down that rabbit hole and start focusing on yourself
0: beautifully said so so beautifully said can you tell me a little bit about um you have siblings
1: i do I do. I have a um, uh, an older sibling who I am also in a no contact scenario with as well. And that was actually not by by um, by my choice. That was actually by his choice. Really, it was interesting. You see, so what happens, and I hope a lot of listeners will relate to this: when you grow up with a toxic parent, narcissistic parent, borderline parent, toxic, whatever you as I said, whatever label you want to call it on, um, what ends up happening so often is they will triangulate kids. They'll have one child who will be the golden child and they'll have another child who is the scapegoat or the black sheep or the scapegoat. And if there's a third child, they usually end up being, they call it the lost child, right? The, the, the child that's kind of doesn't know if they're coming or going. Um, and so in my scenario growing up, um, I had a brother who was five years older than me who was the golden child um, you know, did well in school. Didn't get in any, any any kind of trouble. He was, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a, he was he was like the the child that every parent wants. You know, at home, you know, at 15 years old, at home on a Saturday night watching TV at three o'clock in the morning. And I, there's this really famous story where my 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 dad used to tell the story where my mom woke up on a Saturday night once and she realized that my brother was watching TV at two o'clock in the morning and she started getting livid that he was still awake. And my dad turned to her and said, how many parents would give their left arm to know where their 15-year-old child is on a Saturday night at 2 a.m.? Yeah, so I grew up with a brother who was five years older. He was the golden child. He Nothing he could do uh, was wrong. He was... Uh, all intents and purposes, not a very social person, very socially awkward. Didn't have a lot of friends. Never went to a school dance. Never played sports. Uh, never went to his prom. He was like that consummate, you know. Did well in school. Went off to uh, university and in, uh, in Australia and became a marine biologist. And like was just like the the you know the perfect child. Whereas me, I saw through all the toxic bullshit, right? So I had a little bit of a I had a mouth on me. Like I stood up to the toxic behavior, which made me become enemy number one. Right. Did you notice that
0: the dynamic between your brother? Did, what was the relationship like with your mother and father and your brother? I mean, obviously, he was the, quote, golden child. You didn't have that vocabulary when you were little. Right. But what was that dynamic and what space, what mind space did it put you as far as dealing with your brother and growing up?
1: Well, looking back now, I would call it triangulation, right? Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Um, uh you know my mom would say stupid things like you know my brother was he was a bookworm he read a lot of books you know and he was academic and i was like the solid c plus b student and did no homework Yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> because i had friends and i had i played hockey and i did sports and i was like you know like i had friends i had a good social circle when i was a kid and you know, my mom looked at that as like, I was a horrible kid, right? Because I, you know, when you stack them up to, you know, when you, when you put two kids side by side and here's the the most ironic part is like, I never drank. I didn't do drugs. You know, I never failed at a school. I wasn't getting brought home by the police because I was getting into mischief or anything like that. For all intents and purposes, I was a good kid. Was I a perfect kid? Hell no. I had a lip i like I one hundred percent had a lip well, I was definitely, definitely... Got, what
0: got you in trouble was your knowledge and your recognition of the fact that you were in a toxic family.
1: Yeah. 100%. And so the, the relationship was very interesting. So my father and I were very close because my father was also really athletic and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, but the biggest issue, to be perfectly frank, was being that my mom was the first in command. My my father was extre- like knowing now what I know today, he was extremely codependent. And for all intents and purposes, he was abused. Like when you take a look yes. at a, when you take a look at toxic relationships, the dynamic—either man or woman, woman man doesn't matter. When one is the abuser, the abused, there's some pretty standard physical manifestations that will happen, emotional and physical. My dad checked off every box. He had um, he was reeled with anxiety, depression. He also had a rheumatoid condition called PMR, which is polymyalgia rheumatica, which is like a mirroring stiffness of muscles in your body. And the doctors, they, they, they couldn't figure out what it was. They couldn't figure out how it, how it came on. They f- thought that it was a viral thing at one point. But now when I'm looking at, you know, the research and all that, you know, I look at some of these research papers of abuse victims, my dad was like, for all purposes, emotionally abused. Like, I, I remember a story, Terry, like, this is just the kind of stuff that I witness on a, on a regular basis. I was probably maybe 21 years old. My parents had a cottage in northern Ontario in Canada, and I drove up there after a breakup from a girl. Like my, you know, my first adult relationship it was pretty, pretty bad breakup. And I go, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go up to my family's cottage and we're going to have a great time. My dad and I went golfing and it was a standard day. Like we had to drive 45 minutes to the course. The round took, normally rounds of golf take about four to four and a half hours. It was slow that day. So it took five, almost five and a half hours. But that's, that happens from time to time. We had a beer afterwards and then we drove home. Like standard day. We walked into the into the, into the the house and it was World War Three. My mom blew oh. her stack because we took so long. And this was back before cell phones were as popular. There was no cell phone service up north anyways at that time. So it's not like we could have called. But it was like we didn't do anything out of the ordinary. It's not like we, you know, diverted and went to a friend's house and had a rager for three hours no. and then didn't call home and let my mom know, right? And so like we walked in the cottage and it was like, I literally froze on my steps and I looked at my dad and I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? And my dad's response was shrug his shoulders. My mom didn't talk to my dad for three days, the silent treatment, right? We were sitting down for breakfast and I was supposed to be there for a week. And this was like day four, right? And three days of that was silent treatment. And I was sitting there and I and I, I literally sat there. I put my hands down on the table. And I looked at one, I looked at the other. I'm like, well, this has been a slice. I'm getting out of here. Like I'm not putting up with this bullshit, right? And I used to ask, I used to ask my dad, and this is where like the normalization of toxic behavior comes into play. I looked at my dad and I said to him, I was like, why do you put up with this? You know what his response was? Don't worry, one day you'll you'll understand when you get married. So the modeling that I experienced growing up in my household was don't communicate. There's no healthy debate. There's no meeting people halfway in the middle. Just be submissive and comply to what your what your wife wants that's the model that I was given,
0: yeah,
1: right, yes. and I see it on I, I see it in people in the inverse as well, like through followers where they talk about their parents growing up and like their father was a narcissist and the father was the dominating one and who was like who had coercive control, and their wives are just submissive and they just you know comply because they want to keep the peace and they want to keep the family together. that is not normal behavior I don't care. If people, you hear of other people, go like, that's just the way it is. No, that's not the way it is. That's not how it's supposed to be. And so, like, I had so many of those cases where that happened growing up where, you know, if I look back at my entire childhood, that's, I mean, it was just a constant state of, of ups and downs like that. And then when you understand the abuse cycle, how the love bombing happens and then the devaluation and then the discarding and then you get the hoovering, yep. it happens like people, it happens in narcissistic romantic relationships, but it also happens in, in families as well, right? Like parents will love bomb their children and then they'll devalue them. Trauma is what happens to your body on the inside, how you process it. Yeah. Right? What happens to you is traumatic, Yes. right? But the trauma is what happens in you. And when your body holds, you know, that book, the body keeps a score.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: It's like your body, that's how we have all of these triggers. It's just all it is is our our nervous system is acting and reacting to stored trauma. Yeah. And until you process that trauma out of your body, you are going to keep doing the same stuff over and over and over again.
0: And it's very difficult to take a step back and number one, embrace and call it trauma, like we've been talking about. And then to realize that it came from our families is another just mind-blowing, like, wait, what the fuck? And I always, I have people who comment all the time. They're like, oh, you cut off your family. Your kids are going to cut you off
1: one day. I'm like, oh, yeah. bitch. <laughs> oh my God. Like, my mom has said that. My mom has said that to other uh, people too. It's like, right? My mom. I remember once my mom said to somebody, okay, so this is a really awesome story. It's a really close friend of mine. She's like a sister of mine. I've known her since I was like 13. She's like 11 years older than me. And she was having some troubles with her son. And my mom said to her, you just wait until he gets older, and and my friend then turned to my mom and said, "Well, I won't kick him out of the house," and it sent her into like a tailspin. You want to talk about narcissistic injury? So it's like they want the the, the toxic people like that want other people to go through bad stuff too. It's it, it's they want no. validation by seeing other people suffer.
0: But it's also and so it, hard to wrap your head around when it's coming from your parents because. Not only have they controlled the narrative, but then you believe the narrative of society. And then you're thinking, this, this can't be happening, but
1: it really fucking is. So back in 2005, I had moved to Montreal to go to work in Montreal for a year. And I was home at Christmas. And then I'd left to go visit a friend. And then I got this angry voicemail from my mom saying that, she, you know, it was like the whole guilt trip. Oh, you don't want to spend time <laughs> with your family. And then and I just like, and then this had been built hung up the phone and didn't speak to them for two years. And a year into that period of no contact was when I started my my therapy journey. And so what happened was I was feeling like I should be really sad, I should be really upset that I'm not in contact with my parents but I wasn't. And so I'd never been to therapy before. And I walked in the office and a therapist said like every good therapist will say, so why are you here? And I told him, I'm like, well, you know, I went through some really bad stuff with my parents and some bad arguments. And then all of a sudden I decided enough is enough. And I went no contact. And the therapist is, looks at me and says, well, okay, so you're upset about that. You're trying to process those feelings. I was like, no, no, no,
0: it's the opposite. <laughs> I'm
1: actually not upset. Like I'm actually happy. And I feel like I should be upset that I don't have my my my, my parents in my life That makes I me cut so them out. sad. <laughs> I know but the, but if when you stop and you think about it it's like that is the societal pressure yes. that yes. family like you should it's like family over everything I and know. it's like no like That's why it makes me I ugh. I was genuinely at peace and I felt bad because like I like I you shouldn't <laughs> feel bad because you're not talking to your, your family anymore yes. like that doesn't that's not, that's not an emotion that somebody should feel. And so, yep. you know, th- that went by for about two years. And then I guess we kind of started getting into a period of low contact and, and then it all, I would say, accumulated to last spring when, you know, I went through that stuff where my mom pulled this stuff and I was like, right. you know what, you know what they say? Like a toxic person's worst enemy is an educated empath, right? right. Yep. Right. So the more you educate yourself on stuff, this is not a TikTok trend. Yep. And and if anybody says, but it's your mom, but it's your father or, you know, but your family or whatever, the way that I explain it to people is like, I'm not choosing to say no to my family. I'm choosing yes to regulating my nervous system and taking care of myself and my own needs. I want people to know going no contact should always be a last resort.
0: Yes, right? I agree.
1: And this is... You and I share this very much. The biggest influencer for me in terms of education has been Dr. Sherry Campbell. Yes, I picked up same. her book... I picked up her book a couple of years ago and I started like she knows this toxic family space mm-hmm. so well. And the way that she describes it, and the way that she talks about it, yes, really takes away that stigma. It really demystifies the stigma of going no contact with your family is should be frowned upon. Yep. People yeah. need to understand that going no contact with family is a valid option in your life. Putting yourself first taking care of yourself. And what my therapist love to tell me is self-care is not selfish.
0: Thank you.
1: Right. Thank you. It's such a good, nope. it's such a good saying for people to understand that you're not being selfish by going no contact with family. What you're doing is you're prioritizing your, your mental health. Yep. And the one of the last text messages that she ever sent I me, mean, I can actually read it word for word uh, if you want to keep it verbatim. Um, I had sent her some information. Like I had said something about like, you know, I'm in therapy. Like I'm working on myself. I, yeah, I know I've, I've got I've some I've told flies. my mom the same
0: thing. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and her response to me talking about me being in therapy oh, God. was... Uh, are you sitting there, are you ready for this one? She said, "Your so-called psychological professionals are only telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> it's it's money down the drain. Personally, I think you need a psychiatrist to deal with your problems."
0: Ew, oh, oh my god, It's so like triggering for me. Like, oh
1: my god! That's that's my that's my I, mother.
0: I, there's so much depth to that one test text message. She basically takes no responsibility. Then <laughs> she basically says, "There's no hope for you." And basically yep. calls you crazy, and
1: yeah, you know, I'm wasting my money. I'm, yeah, she's she's undermining the integrity of certified psychological professionals. Oh who yeah, oh want. yeah, and there, that bothers me another...
0: so much when they throw up. My mom used to call me bipolar, and it yeah. bothered me so much because I was like, first of all. Bipolar is a mental condition. It shouldn't have a negative connotation associated with it. If I have bipolar, if no. I have bipolar, like whatever. Yeah. Bothered me so bad that she would throw that out at me. You need serious help. You're bipolar. Or she tell other people that I was bipolar. Well, and it's crazy.
1: It's the way that I look at it. My observations of that is when you don't conform, when you don't do what yes. they want, when they want, how they want it. Yep. And when they want it, you are the crazy one. Yes. You are the problem. Like, okay. Yes. So, and then I had this other like, like fabulous story. And I actually recorded it because I was driving. Okay. So here's the story. I, I've been a huge supporter of EMDR therapy. Like EMDR therapy has been really, really good for me. And I was in the therapy session and I uncovered something that happened in this EMDR session that happened in the fifth grade. It it had nothing to do with my parents or their parenting style or trauma from them at all. What it, what it was, was I, I had this memory where like, I like a letter got sent home in the fifth grade saying that I was not doing well or something along those lines like it, it was a really it was not a good letter okay and so I leave therapy I get in the car and I'm driving home and I want to record I want to call my mom and ask her if she remembers any kind of incident that happened at school in the fifth grade and I wanted to record it so that I could play it back for my therapist the next day it has nothing to do with my parents or their parenting style or anything okay I'm in the car, I'm driving and I tell my mom, I'm like, hey, listen, something happened, blah, 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 fifth grade letter going home. Do you remember anything that happened? In my mom's response, I mean, I don't know it like verbatim, but I could play it. But it was literally my mom said, no, I don't remember anything. You always did okay in school. But I know you think that your mother and your father were horrible parents. Do you ever think that maybe you're just fantasizing about these things that happened? And I was like, wow, no. you're literally, my mother is gaslighting me right now. If my daughter came to yes. me in 30 years from now and said, yeah. dad, I remember when I was in the second grade, you yelled at me and you did something and blah, 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 blah. My reaction I would be like did I make you feel that way? Yes, did I, I do something? I, I don't know. remember this but like I know. clearly you remember I know. Yes. it. But like, I would want to be like yeah. what did I do? How can I make yes. this right? Yes. And whereas with a toxic parent they will do everything in their power not to take accountability. They yep. they will deflect everything. Like and it's so funny I remember I said something to my my mom once about getting the strap and my mom's like we never hit you. Oh god. And I'm like rewriting I can't history. Remember. I'm like, I can literally tell you what I was wearing. I was sleeping on a cot because we had friends, we had family who were staying over. I know where I was positioned at the end of the bed. Like I can tell you like details because it was so traumatic of getting the strap, right? And my mom literally tried to say that she never hit us. And I'm like, well, do you not remember stabbing me with a fork? Uh, which she did as well, by the way. She tried to scare me, and she like literally stabbed the, the top of my hand with a fork. Sorry. Yeah, my mom stabbed me, and then I got sent to my room. Just FYI for oh, everybody listening, course. that's how toxic. How dare you parents. disrupt dinner? Yeah, you know. Um, and like I like they will literally try to downplay or dismiss every single thing that they've done wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like you're imagining these things, and yeah. it's and it's like okay, sure, I can buy into the concept of. You know, kids' memories maybe not being quite as oh. uh, as accurate. Like I, I, I get it, but the the general maybe like the infinite details might be off a little bit. But like the general consensus is like like that stuff happened, right? But
0: also, I think your pivotal moments of no contact came when you realized she was messing with your daughter. And I think the continual realization happens as we parent. And we were like. We would never do this to our kids. We would never behave like this, talk like this, respond like this even in 25 years. We yep. would never. It doesn't make us a better parent. You know, it just mm-hmm. means we've been able to deal with the trauma. We're we're healing,
1: we're growing, you know. Oh, and that's that's I think That was pivotal for me too. Going no contact with family is. There's a lot of trepidation associated with it because you know it's just our culture, and you think that you're alone and nobody else has gone through this. When you connect with other people, you start to realize that it is way more prevalent than what you realize. Yes, I remember I was I was chatting with Dr. Sherry Campbell, and she and she told me I don't quote me on the stat, but the the statistic is shocking. But she, I think she told me that one in four Americans are estranged from their families. So it's a lot more prevalent than what people realize. But the problem is, is that people just don't talk about it. People are silent about it.
0: Yeah, is and there the more shame? that you
1: connect with other people, yeah, and the more mm-hmm. that you connect with other people, the more that you realize, like you're not alone in this. Yeah, and healing is possible. Like, it's a lot of hard work. Don't get me wrong. You have to put in a lot of hard work to to get to the point where you feel like your healing is you know taking to the taking the next step. Yeah, but it is possible. So you know the problem is is people just don't talk about this. I I don't feel embarrassed. I don't feel ashamed by being in no contact right now. You know when you're when you're dealing with somebody who lacks accountability, it, you'll never hear the words "I'm sorry." Yep. I I am sorry that my actions hurt you. That's, that wasn't my intention.
0: I agree. And I have people say too, oh, I feel so stupid that I went back to my toxic family member so many times. And I'm like, no, man, that is part of your journey. Like we were saying earlier, it's a part of your journey and it helps propel you on this no contact journey because you can look back and go, no, I did everything I could do. Yes. I got discarded a thousand times. I changed. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, you want to have a relationship with the narcissist. That's great. You're going to have to meet their standards. You're going to have to adjust, modify your life. And guess what? You break down one fiery ring that they have set on, high, on fire to have you jump through again. It's just going to get bigger. The challenges will get bigger. So there will never be peace. And I feel like that's so common, especially with children, with a narcissistic parent. They think, oh, well, I'm just yeah. going to just comply once. And then that'll shut them up. And just comply now. And, and just do this. And just say that. And that'll shut them up. No, it's like feeding the beast. They will never be peace ever, ever, ever.
1: It's 100% compliance is what you need with with a, a yes. narcissistic parent. It's either you conformed or you are the enemy number one.
0: Conform. And that's why they always say- And then say, even when you conform, <laughs> guess what? They want they something raised, else. Yeah,
1: they raise yeah. the bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you ever want to see how toxic somebody is, especially a parent, establish boundaries and say no to them. And then I always say, grab the popcorn, sit back and watch the show that's about to begin.
0: That's because exactly it's, it's,
1: right. But it, it, it's classic narcissistic behavior when they don't get what they want. It's I mean, it's think about it. It's like a wrestling yeah. development, right? It, they're like a little child stomping their feet, throwing their toys yeah. out of the pram because they're not getting what they want. Yeah. And if you can put up with that behavior, then God bless you. Right. I can't.
0: That's <laughs> the same.
1: All right? Same. I, I cannot. <laughs> no. I, nope. I have, you know what I, if somebody establishes boundaries with me, I'll respect that. Right. Not to a narcissist. Narcissist will not, no, no. Yeah. And it's like, I've just seen, I've seen the pattern repeat over and over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. again. And then it's, it's like that saying, you can only hit your head up against the, up, up against right. a brick wall so many times before you realize it hurts and you stop oh. doing it. Right. 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 Yeah. I can, I can attest. That when you cut toxic people out of your life, the amount of peace and calm, your nervous system will start to calm down yes. and relax. So true. Dr. Sherry was on Kristen Cavalleri's podcast.
0: Yeah, that was and she great. Said,
1: and she said, you cannot heal in an environment that is poisoning you. Mm-hmm and i love that line because that's what a toxic relationship is with a with a narcissistic parent Mm -hmm. it's a poisonous really it's a poisonous environment yes i am honored i am honored that you asked me to be on your podcast because i absolutely love your content and your content uh as i said at the beginning of the of the the podcast i really connected with because going no contact with parents your primary caregivers is never i don't care what people say it's never an easy thing and I think the work that you're doing, trying to demystify and really normalize that type of um, scenario, I think is only doing good things, not bad things. Thank the only you. person who will think that you're doing bad things are the toxic parents. Because <laughs> trust you. me, I've had, few, I've, I've had a few of them on my account <laughs> so too. We
0: have talked about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was so sweet. And I appreciate those kind words. Welcome. Thank you. And you're I appreciate very, very you for welcome. being here and being vulnerable and, oh my gosh you're amazing thank you for all the information you shared and the insight and for being honest about your past and your story and good luck to you you're truly impacting people and all these people are resonating with you and feeling less alone and that's all that matters
1: hey, listen if i can help one person yeah. feel a little bit better yeah. after what they've gone through with a narcissist then my job is complete that's yeah. the way i look at it
0: you're doing a great job thank you so much well thank you i really appreciate
1: the kind words thank you for saying that i really appreciate that yeah
0: Uh, thank you cheers till next time friends